Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate all the downloads. We appreciate you tuning in. Turkey season is firing up all over the nation. It's open in South Texas right now, and it's creeping its way up here. If you are in the market for a new turkey call, I highly, highly suggest that you go check the boys out at Pacific Calls. PacificCustomCalls.com. They've got a new turkey line out right now. They've got diaphragms. They've got pot calls. They've got everything, and they look and sound amazing. If you are needing anything, any kind of call, to call in any type of bird, I highly suggest that you check out the boys at PacificCustomCalls.com. They've got everything that you need. They're a one-stop shop. Turkeys, geese, ducks. They've even got the Sandhill Steakhouse call out there. So if you're chasing Sandhill cranes, they've got the call for you. And if you're going to be in Texas, April April 7th and 8th. Second weekend in April. Second weekend in April at Texas Motor Speedway. You can go by and check them out. They're going to be there. Boss is going to be there. I think Lucky Shane, Duck. Lucky Duck. Dirty, Dirty Duck. Shane Gear. Shin Gear. Shane Gear. Shin Gear. Uh, Gun Dog Outdoors is going to be there also. Jeez. The who's who. Also, if you are a turkey hunter, check out Boss Tom from Boss Shot Shells. It's all made in America. Copper plated bismuth. Wax them. Uh, you can get a little bit of revenge. It decleats the toms. It's a quick and effective kill. Boss Tom, it's all that I shoot. It's all that my clients shoot also. American-made products right there made in Michigan. Right in Michigan. Great guys over over there at uh, Boss Shot Shells. They've worked through the product shortage to deliver a high-quality, premium uh, product to you loyal hunters. So check them out. They're constantly uh, innovating, constantly making their product better so that uh, you don't have to think twice whenever you're pulling the trigger. All-American-made, too. Great people over there. Uh, also, we're brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's the way to start the day every single day. Shoot them in the face. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. That's right. Missouri Boat Ride Blend. That's how we start our day out here at the Big Honker Lodge. It's delicious. Go delicious by, and nutritious. Go by Texas Motor Speedway, see them, see Scotty Goggles, and tell them we sent you over there to see them. Uh, you can get all your coffee. You can get all your caffeine needs over there at uh, Dirty Duck Coffee. Cool hoodies and caps, too. Yeah. Got some cool stuff and some cool mugs. They got a great new uh, F. Joe Brandon. I saw that. I saw that you have it, and I don't, though. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Interesting the way it works. Interesting the way that this works out all of a yes, sudden. It does. You've got the new uh, F. F. Brandon. You've got it, and I don't. I know. Whatever. Yeah. That's fine. All right. Also, go check out the boys at Dive Bomb Industries. They are your one-stop shop for your decoy needs. They have got, the widgeons now. They got widgeon floaters out now. So um, they're slowly, slowly uh, adding species to their floater line. It's it's exciting to see. They've got the kickback chair. They've even introduced a uh, dog training line. So they've got a cool little dog launcher that uh, you can fling that bumper further than your arm will let it go that's crazy too that of all the years of training dogs i threw so many bumpers as a kid see there that someone would come up with something so simple just to flick that dummy yeah, right on out there and add 100 yards to your dog and i used to throw i've thrown a lot of bumpers when i was a kid growing up oh yeah i can remember Lots. ron you got to step out there and and throw the bumper that way the dog doesn't get used to breaking down at a certain distance they've just figured it out jeff that's a it's a great product Great guys. Cody's got it going on over there, him and Asher. So check them out. Constantly innovating. Dive Bomb Industries. Check them out on Instagram. They've got a great Instagram page. They're a lot of fun to be associated with. Uh, and don't forget about the silhouettes. It's the, it's, they're the best on the market. Pack up nice and neat. It's the off-season right now, so they've all, we've stored them all up, and they're beautiful. So check them out, Dive Bomb Industries, for whatever you're looking for. And uh, if you're laying out in the middle of the spread, the kickback chairs and the tall socks are the way to go. And the greatest, <coughs> the greatest waiter company ever. 
<coughs> oh my goodness. <clears throat> another another new company that's come out that's just taken over that industry. Shingear, by far the best waiters. If I was going to be wearing waiters, that's what I'd be buying. I do wear waiters, and that's all I will ever get. Um, the boot fits like a dream. The material, the top material that they're made out of, it's it's durable, it's breathable. Uh, two things that you wouldn't figure would go together, but Jeff Jones over at Shin Gear has figured it out. They're the most comfortable. Like I, like I told Jeff when we had them on the podcast, there's, there's times, you know, I, I thought I could just hunt every day in these. They're that comfortable. And they've got a guarantee that they will stand behind their product for as long as you stand in them. So if you do have a problem, you, you get a little rip, maybe the seam happens to, to break loose, send them to the people over at Shin Gear. They'll get them turned around and right back out to you. That's how a company should be, Jeff. Great customer service. Let's talk about them boys over at Lucky Duck. <clears throat> they got a big boy kennel out. Five-star crash test rated. Lou, weight fluctuates a little bit. 80 to 100 pounds. He's finally got a crate that fits him. That's durable. Now, as rumor is, it is there really a fan that goes in that? Absolutely. So he has yes, his own air conditioning yes. Listen, system. Listen, it gets hot. It gets hot in the summertime in Texas. This nice, big, beautiful dog crate that I've got from Lucky Duck. It's got a fan that attaches to the front of it. Keep your pet nice and cool during the summertime. It's also got a pad. So, you know, he doesn't have to worry about He's getting older now, Jeff. i got to worry about his elbows. He can lay comfortably in this uh, five-star crash test rated kennel, and I don't have to worry about him. He's cool. He's comfortable. Not going anywhere. It's a great product. Uh, they've also got the best spinners on the market, and they also have the best A-frame that's out there right now. So it is the Lucky Duck 2x4 blind, four grown men. It's sturdy. It's stout. And it's what we use almost every single day out here. And we are not easy on our equipment, and they handle the torture test. So if you hunt out of A-frames, if you hunt on edges, there's even guys that put A-frames in the middle. If you're a big boy and you want comfort and you're sick of trying to let, had a guy today book a hunt and said, hey, I'm a fat ass and I do not want to lay a layout blind. What do y'all do? I said 90% of our hunts are done from an A-frame. Of course, the time he's here, we'll probably have to be laying probably, on our back. Probably have But to. I told him 90% of the time, and the reason why, it's comfort. If your customers are comfort and you can shoot better when you're sitting down as on your back. Yep. Makes things a whole lot better, so check out Lucky Duck. They've got tops now, too, so if you're a crane hunter and you're hunting out of these uh, A-frames, you just throw the tops on, and all of a sudden you're invisible. So, luckyduck.com. Also, go check out uh, Gundog Outdoors. Uh, check out, you know, you got to take care of your four-legged hunting buddy. They've got bumpers out. They've got collars. <clears throat> they've also got the patented quick-release system. Latches into your dog's collar. That dog does not go anywhere until you say so. You pull a little, pull a little string, and... Away it goes. I hook it up to Lou every single day. No matter how highly qualified your dog is, how highly trained your dog is, the quick release system is something that you could use. So um, keep Fido in check always. That is at Gundog Outdoors, and they're going to be at Duck. So if you're there in April, go check them out. Looking Glass Duck Club, our boy Logan Pyatt, him and Rebel. They put on a hell of a show. They have a Patreon account, and you donate to it every month, and then you get unlimited access to all of their episodes and you can check out the debauchery that they've got going on we actually just had logan on here here recently and he's a great guy they put on a hell of a show they're funny they're witty some people even call them smart jeff but it's for adults it is for adults so if you uh if you ride around with your kids i would suggest you not listening uh maybe then but you know you get by yourself maybe with the misses and pick up a few little pointers few little pointers from logan and rep it's a it's a fun time and I, I really, really enjoy listening to them banter back and forth. So that is the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. 
We're also brought to you by uh, Alpha Outdoor Specialties. They came out with a stand-filled stool. Sturdy little piece of equipment that goes in the A-frames, and you can sit your fat ass down and not sink into the dirt. No more buckets digging into your ass. Hemorrhoids are terrible. No sore back. No, no more sore back. Uh, but they can they can manufacture anything that you've got at, over at Alpha Outdoors. Uh, if you'll just get a hold of them, you can check them out. Alpha Outdoor Specialties. Uh, they're on Instagram. Shoot them a message, and they can. Uh, Thing, build whatever you want. They're geniuses over there. Good people make good stuff. He told me to tell you too that he will have the uh, what was the name of it he used? It's gonna be the thing in the blind for you to put your shit on. Oh, the the blind caddy. The blind caddy. He said, "Tell Andy you're making a blind caddy." For making him. a blind caddy. We're excited about that. So they're gonna call it the asshole Andy Shaver. The asshole Andy Shaver's coffee holder. So uh, be looking for that. It'll be out before this uh, hunting season. We're also brought to you by Steak Plains Meats. Listen, the price of meat in the grocery stores is, is entirely too high. If you've got the freezer space, you need to buy in bulk. Get your neighborhoods. If you can't buy whole beef by yourself, get two or three of your neighbors. Go together and buy one. You're saving money. The quality of meat's better. You know what you're getting. And for what you're paying for a pound of hamburger meat, you can be eating ribeyes. That's exactly right. And you're prepared for whatever comes next. And who knows what the hell? Who knows what the hell that's going to be? You've got meat on hand. You're not relying on truckers and grocery stores and many, many variables. You got the meat on hand, and you're ready for whatever. So, if you can afford it, if you've got the freezer space, go in with some buddies, check them out. Steak Plains Meats, and you can get whole beef, half beef, whatever you want, and uh, they, they also, do a very good job. They also do wild game there too. So check them out. Yeah. If you need to get something so processed. If you, if you shoot a deer or anything. Well, you're not doing it right now. Your neighbor's cow, your neighbor's pig. <laughs> take anything to them. <laughs> Just take it to them. And then when you get done doing that, you need a whis- little shot of whiskey. You do. And, and what makes the best whiskey, Sire Andy? Bangtail whiskey. Uh, they have also fought the supply chain shortage and glass bottles. They've got glass bottles. They're bottling up whiskey, and they're shipping it out just as fast as they can bottle it. You need to check them out. Bangtail whiskey. Brandon's a great guy, and uh, he's held his nose to the grindstone. And he has weathered the the supply chain shortage. Who'd have thought glass? Never two get, years ago, couldn't get whiskey for your. That's crazy because we of glass. got we got all the whiskey in the world, but we can't get bottles. So it, it's a it's a fun time to be alive. But Brandon has uh, he's stuck with it well, and I suggest that you go check him out at Bangtail Whiskey. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Uh, do we have any dates at all? I we, know we dove have, season is pretty well gone. I've, I've got I've got can do some corporate dove hunts during the week. Tuesday through Thursday package. Check it out. Bring 20 guys up here. Cost you $10,000 for the weekend or for, for a three-day hunt, lodging meals, the whole thing. Where else can you take 20 clients out for ten grand and spend, and have a good time with them? Um, also, we have a new series going to be coming out on YouTube, but we have yet to name it. Anyways, be checking we'll out little feeders will be coming out, or little trailers will be coming out on it for the next two months, and it'll be coming out this summer. Anyways, that's stanfieldhunting.com, or you can call me at 940-658-3172. I do have dates left all three months, November, December, and January. I've got some pheasant dates left. I can do pig hunts in the spring. We can do turkey hunts next April. We're sold out for this April. And uh, basically, that's it. I appreciate y'all listening. Thank y'all for listening to the Big Conquer Podcast. Thank you for letting us be a part of your life. God bless you, and be safe. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the podcast, we are joined by one of Jeff's buddies, Mr. J.W. Oliver. He is just fresh off of a trip from uh, making it to base camp on Mount Everest. Um, Very cool individual, and we hope that you enjoy it. Here he is, J.W. Oliver.
There we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Hawker Podcast brought to you by Shin Gear Waiters. I'm Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. They got a lot of cool stuff coming out. They sure do. You got to keep whole your... line of stuff coming out. I think their out. Instagram account got hacked. Oh, really? If you look at their stories, they're only posting how they've hit big on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I bet they have. Then. So, it don't look like Jeff Jones's way. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think they're posting a whole. I don't think they're mining a whole lot of Bitcoin over no, there. Shin gear, but no, yeah, no. that's all it is. From what I understand, is once you get your Instagram account hacked, there's no like you're logged out. You can't do anything about it. That, that sucks. You can't call nobody. And I, I mean, I think they got like thirty thousand followers or something. Mm. So, Our starting g- from scratch. Our guest today. The stud from Bonham Elementary in Wichita Falls, Texas, <laughs> Mr. J.W. Oliver. How you doing, J.W.? Man, I'm great. It's good to have a conversation with a fellow Bonham Bomber there. That that school's no longer, but we are. You, you know, uh, that's the problem with Wichita Falls. They closed Bonham Elementary down, what, 20 years ago, 15 years ago? And there's a lot of success from a small – I get in trouble a lot of times because I call it the white trash elementary of Wichita Falls because that's what a lot of that was. Which it is. Poor white people from Wichita. <laughs> that's right. Sure. That's it. And I don't know why people yeah, get so no, sensitive it is, about yeah. it. But a lot of successful people come out of there, lots of them. And no, I, I think you're right. And, and there's a reason for that, too, because hardship teaches you a lot of things. And, you know, my goodness, that's what that's what we were all enduring when – from those days, from the dog patch and the Bonnie Homes and the Sunny Side and the Sun Valleys. Yep. When when you live in Bonnie Homes and you're considered the rich kid at Bonham Elementary, you know things are tough, tough, tough there, boy. Woo! Some bad days. What what were the teachers like there? Yeah. Were they were they sensitive to y'all's plight or were they also just our, barely our, scraping by? Our principal, Mr. Waldrop. What I remember about him is when I got into college, he had a smoking hot daughter. He was a good guy. He was a real good guy. They was, the teachers were good. People cared, you know, so. No, they were good. You know, they were good teachers, too, Jeff, because, I mean, you even think about Mr. Waldrop. I kept up with him actually on Facebook uh, for years and years, and and uh, he still remembered my when I came there in the kindergarten, I, I kicked him in the shins with my boots. <laughs> and so he, he still used to say, I remember your first day of school. But, you know, that's a, that's a rough bunch of kids. And when I say rough, uh, I just mean there wasn't a lot of con- well, a lot of control. You know, that was the first the beginning of a lot of broken homes, and uh, we were all over the board. To be honest with you, and you're right. Bonnie Homes was the rich neighborhood. If you lived in Bonnie Homes, you really weren't on the free lunches like the rest of us. That's exactly right. <laughs> you had to. Strip- you didn't qualify. Yeah, you had a quarter to put it in the Coke machine at Southeast Boys Club, and the other kids didn't. And then well, you remember Dolly Ritchie? She lived down the street from you. Yes. She she said she couldn't go to kindergarten there because her parents made too much money. I thought, holy cow! <laughs> How'd you not end up going to school there? <laughs> She'd been going to Fane Elementary. So uh, that's right. JW also and me have another link. Is we are both Washington Redskins fans. Commanders. Woo! And they're always the Redskins. They're not. Nope. The, nope that's, that's exactly whoop, right. Whoop, that's wrong. They're the Redskins. <laughs> they're the Redskins. Stick with it now. They don't task. <laughs> Would you rather it be the commanders or the football team? Actually, I'd rather it be the football team. I, I, I would, I too. I do, too. I don't like the if commanders. You're gonna, if you're going to yeah. change it, just go with the football team and just be the football team. And make every other team do the same. It's the Cincinnati football team. <laughs> it's the Houston football team. And just the hell with all of them, right? Just I just I want to know, like I said, like we've talked about this before, when the hell are the Vikings going to have to change their names? Because if you look at the history books, the Vikings were the very first people that came over here 
and started raping and pillaging. So by law, by their rules and their standards, the Minnesota Vikings should have to change their name. It won't happen. Hey, all I know is those 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 silly cowboys had pistols and guns, and they used to shoot people. I think we've got to do away with that name immediately. Absolutely. I'm triggered. I'm triggered all of a sudden. Okay, J.W., you just <laughs> got back on a trek with a guy from Seymour, which is 35 miles from here. And I had a guy here yep. the other day that was he was telling me. It's really funny because I know Kevin was with you, Brooks, right? Yep, yep, that's it, correct. And I had the guy was here uh, doing some work on our air conditioner, and he's from Seymour. Nick, that's been on the podcast mm-hmm. with us, and Nick goes, "Yeah, this guy from Seymour is is going to climb Mount Everest." I said, "I got a guy on the base podcast, camp. base camp, or base, base camp. camp." He told me, he "said I've got a guy." Yep. I said, "I got a guy that's going to be on podcast with me that's doing that too." And then I said, "I bet they're going together." I said, "It's too small a world for him not to be." And then I saw pictures of Kevin and you together. So you hiked to the, I guess, hiked is the word to the base camp at Everest. How hard yeah, was it? Yeah, it was a, it was a tough. Well, it's it's tough, you know. They, you read a lot of things, and it'll say, "Oh, it's a, you know, moderate to difficult hike," but it may not be that difficult of a hike in terms of the trekking piece of it. But number one, it takes eight days, so any trek that takes eight days is, is long. Uh, you're staying in these tea houses that are, are are not heated, so you know at night it's dropping below freezing, so you're hunkered down inside your sleeping bag. Um, and then the mornings you get up and get to go around the, the, the kitchen where they had a little fireplace, but it was tough. You know, there's days we were, uh, going seven to nine hours and, and you were going up from, uh, say 9,000 foot elevation up to 12. And, and that's a lot of steps when you start doing that during the course of the day. And then as you get higher and higher, obviously the last couple of days when you were above, uh, 16,000 feet, your, your air oxygen content is somewhere between 60 and 55 percent of normal so you just can't sleep. literally you don't sleep just because you can't sleep you wake up and you're <clears throat> gasping for air so that added to the difficulty so you're not only waking up cold and tired or cold but now you're waking up tired too does that scare you the first time that you're like <gasps> i can't catch my breath oh Luckily, I had been on a hike about four years ago in Peru, and it was only at about 11,000 feet, and it happened to me. And I thought I was going to go to the emergency room, and literally I was at the hotel, and I was like, hey, I'm having a little problem sleeping. They said, ah, that, you'll be fine tomorrow. And it did get fine at that altitude. But, you know, at base camp, you're going up and up, and no, it's scary. I mean, literally, you drop off to sleep. You probably don't go to sleep. You might close your eyes for a couple of seconds, and next thing you know, you're <clears throat> gasping for air, and it wakes you up. So that adds to the complexity of that trip by far, which blows my mind that people can actually go to the top of Everest as well, because that's another, you know, 12,000 feet higher than we were. I had a hunter not long ago. He just, he, he had just got out of the hospital with COVID like two weeks before he came out here, but he said his lungs filled up to where he, he would get short of breath and then he would have a panic attack on top of, not being able to catch his breath. So those two compounded. He said he had to take Xanax for like two weeks just until just to where his lungs could start to uh, recover. And But he did. He said like he would get, he'd have a coffin fit and then he couldn't breathe and then he'd have a panic attack and then that would just make everything so much worse. And then they were off to the emergency room for oxygen and it was a whole big mess. So I couldn't imagine like being no, up I- there and then like getting in your own head. And like, oh shit! I'm on top. I'm on the side of a mountain. I can't have a panic attack now. 
yeah, there's nowhere to go, right? I mean, uh, you know, they, they might have had a little O2 at the hotels in the lobby and uh, hotels, tea houses, maybe in the main area. But uh, no, it, it it was it was it was a the, the anxiety does flow because you're so tired, you're ready to go to sleep. But then you're like, well, crap, I'm not going to do that again because I woke up and <gasps> breathing hard. So it's it, it definitely added to the, the, the difficulty level. I mean, anybody could do it. It's it's for sure as much mental as it is anything. How much physical preparation did you have to go through uh, in preparation for this? You know, we did a lot. Uh, I was at the end, I was literally, if you've ever been on the Stairmaster from hell, I was, yeah. you know, usually about 10 or 15 minutes gets me. I was doing two hours at a time on that, uh, you know, and not, not leaning on it and holding up, but l- literally, uh, staying consistent for two hours. And then I was doing, you know, a lot of, a lot of weight workout for core workout and legs and doing some CrossFit, but you, you definitely don't want to go up there just thinking you're going to, uh, hike to the, to the top and not be worried about your physical condition. Cause it's definitely important. How, if you would have decided to go to the, to the, to the summit, how many more days would have that taken? That's about a six week ordeal from Oof. start to finish. Wow. Uh, and they were just getting to base camp when we got there. So I always, it's kind of hard to imagine, but they're getting to base camp and, and that's kind of like their warm up. So they're acclimating at that 17,000, two or five, 2000, you know, 17,2 to 17,5. They're acclimating right there and then they're going to start the trek where they're going to camp one, two, three, you know, all the way up to uh, the top. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a six to seven week ordeal. So you got to have a lot of money or you better have a lot of vacation days. That's crazy. It, it amazes me when I'm flying on a jet and you look out and you're flying at 30 or 32,000 feet to think that is the top of Everest. I just, that, 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 I think about that all the time when I'm flying. I'm thinking, God, people actually walk up this high. And Well, and I think when, when we got to where we were at, at 17,000, I started thinking, you know, it's still, it's still another two miles up, up, not sideways, not, not vertical. Right. Or, I mean, but, but straight up, it's two more miles. So when you put it into that perspective, it, it really is a little mind-numbing. Where are the dead bodies at? Are, were they, are they past base camp going to the summit, or, or did you walk past any dead bodies? No, there's, there's nothing that, that low. Uh, but there are still an estimated, I, I believe it's over 200 bodies that are still up on Everest in the snow. And, and they are have some um, uh, contingencies now where they're trying to get a lot of those off of there because it, 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 it's obviously a site. But they're frozen in time, right? I mean, it doesn't ever get below freezing so these bodies are fully intact and, and and still together so they're there but we didn't see any i really they they freeze to the mountain don't they yes. once they pass on they 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 part of the landscape i read a book and it talked about there's one of them's got green pants on or something yeah, or and that's, green shoes maybe or something and it's it's an it's actual resting point for people wherever green pants is or whatever the hell it's it a is mile, it's a mile marker yeah I mean, it's like if yeah, you, if you, yeah. There's green pants. There's, I think it's yellow jacket. There's a guy with a yellow jacket that's part of his jacket shows. There's, there's one I think just right past Hillary Step. So yeah, they've become kind of icons for, and they know who they are too. So that's the interesting part. You know, they they just can't get them off there because it's it's just so difficult to 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 even walk yourself. And there's also now some you know, religious issues with taking those bodies back down. So they're, they're trying to traverse through a lot of that as well. What's the primary religion over there? Uh, you got, you got Hindus and you got Buddhist and, um, 
I don't know what the mix is, but primarily, you know, 95% are going to be of the either Hindu or Buddhist faith as well. Our guide was, was Buddhist as an example. What would, did he have any, what were his weird, uh, every religion, I'm not just picking on Buddhists, every religion believes weird crap, but did he have anything where you're like, ooh, that's a little out there, bub? No, you know, they've got a, they've got a different outlook. They believe in, you know, if you have a God, it's okay. They believe in thousands and thousands of gods, which is a little odd for, for us as Christians, but, you know, uh, he, they believe that everybody's inherently good and that they're trying to get to this nirvana and we keep failing and we so we come back to uh earth again as something recreated again and then we we keep trying to get to this nirvana place where i guess we're perfect uh so so they don't really have any they don't really have any dislikes for the other religions which is kind of cool you know as, as a christian they were very open and our guide was young 31 years old so sabine was real interested to know more about Christianity and you know what we believe, so it was it was quite opening. It was an opera, actually an opportunity to, to to witness to him about what we believe in. Yeah, it. I can only imagine you'd be like telling him about Jesus, and like, yeah, we killed him, and he came back three days later, and that guy was like, "What are you talking about? That's that, that's a bridge too far, bud. That's a bridge too yeah. far." Yeah, so, yeah, coming up on Easter, that's a tough one for them, right? Yeah, yeah, for they sure. They don't get that. So, one. where did you start your trek out of? Do, do you go to Kathmandu? Is that one of the places that you go to? Yeah, you go to Kathmandu, and it's not very high elevation. So, we flew uh, Dallas to Doha, which is about a fifteen-hour flight going, sixteen-hour flight coming back, uh, and then you fly about four hours onto Kathmandu from there. And Kathmandu's at about forty-three hundred feet. Uh, we were there just a couple of days, did a little sightseeing, and then we took a helicopter from, from – you can take the plane, but the planes are very inconsistent because of the weather, so they always say do a helicopter. So we took a helicopter, which is 45 minutes from uh, Kathmandu to Lukla, which Lukla is the cool airport that's uh, about 1,250 feet long, so it's very, very short runway. The runway goes uphill when you land, um, and so we land there. You're at about 9,000 feet. Uh, the first day is kind of nice. You you actually trek down more than you trek up. You end up at about 8,500, and then uh, the trekking down is over at that point. Now you're starting to trek up. But, uh, yeah, you start at Kathmandu, go to Lukla, and then we, you stayed uh, about seven nights in various tea houses as you went up. Uh, the, uh, and we saw some cool things. Saw some uh, the second highest monastery in a place called Tingboche. Uh, which was at about uh, thir- uh, 13,000 feet or 12.5. And uh, Namche Bazaar, which is really a, an old trading route. And there's, you know, it's quite a large city at 11,000 feet. So uh, we really got to see a lot of, lot of interesting uh, things along the way that, that, that made it a lot of fun. And of course, you're surrounded by, by mountains like uh, Amadablin and, and uh, Lobache. These mountains are literally 21, 22,000 feet tall. We, we don't see that here, right? We've got 14,000 foot mountains, but you don't, you're not used to looking around and seeing four, five, six mountains that are all 20,000 foot or higher. What, what, what do those people eat? Cause they can't grow much up there at that height. So they're relying on their food coming from down below to come up. So what was the food like up there? Man, if you don't like rice, don't go. <laughs> so you get a lot of, you get a lot of rice, you get a lot of potatoes 
uh, vegetables there, you know, we had like carrots and broccoli and some various vegetables. So they really suggest you don't eat meat because it's not refrigerated after you leave Lucla. So you, it's usually yak meat. So you don't know exactly what your, the meat's going to be like, but we just stayed away from meat. Uh, we had eggs, uh, lots of eggs. We had eggs, uh, potatoes, rice, pastas, more pastas, and then some more rice. And then we would eat rice in the evenings. So that was pretty much the food staple. Eesh. No, I'm not a fan of rice. Yeah, it got old. Yeah, yeah, it, it got old after a while. But yeah, they made pancakes. So you know, in the morning we'd have pancakes. They didn't have any syrup, so we used honey. So, uh, but but we endured. Uh, but I think that's a tribute. You know, I, I know y'all both are uh, going to be uh, big fans of USA, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one thing that people that live here don't understand is, I heard it said one time. Uh, every day in the U.S., we get a choice of what we're going to eat, and a lot of countries are figuring out if they're going to eat. Right. So in places like that, uh, I've been to Haiti and uh, and a lot of various third world countries, and and you know rice and beans is is what you get every day, and you don't you don't really look at it as food whether you like it or dislike it. It's just food. It's fuel. You, I need this to That's carry right. on my life. It's not how it tastes at that point. You're exactly right. Did- it's just. Am I eating today? And I'm good. Yeah. 15 hours on a plane. That's not easy. That's got to take a toll on your body even before you start your trek up. Yeah, that you need a little bit of break from that. You know, our office for my company is in Zimbabwe. So I go that same route. I go from Dallas to Doha and then Doha down to Zimbabwe. I do that about four times a year. So I'm used to that route. But it's about 14 and a half hours going. And it's a little over 16 hours coming back. And yeah, that's... uh. That, that, that's a that's a long time to try to keep yourself occupied and you've probably watched every movie and you've ate all the food you can eat and got up and stressed as many times but it's tough yeah that that's a that's a tough piece of the trip itself it's two days going and it's two days back so you have to add that onto the trip time i bet that two days back is just torture because like you've just you've you've done this you've done this incredible feat and i know like when i'm on vacation i just cannot wait to be home I cannot wait. Yeah. You want your own bed, your own pillow. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. I don't want to throw 16 hours on a plane on top of all this. Okay, JW, the question people are going to ask, how does a kid from Bonham Elementary end up having a business in Zimbabwe and end up in <laughs> on Everest? Well, man, that's one of those uh, stories. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I need to finish compiling in a book because it is odd. But, you know, Jeff, I, I'll tell you what, it, it's, being being born where I where I was at and where you were at uh, was a blessing for sure. I mean, you know, came from a broken home. Mom raised us. My granddad helped raise us. You know, my aunt and uncle, they lived down the street uh, there on Glasgow. They helped raise us. But because of all those hardships, you know, we didn't know we didn't know we were poor. Right. I mean, no. we had a bicycle and uh, we, we went to the flea market and got new tires when we needed them and we just figured it out. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and, and growing up in, in, if you will, you know, I, I think yours is whether you like trailer trash or white trash or just, you know, Bonham elementary, I, I, I say trailer trash or white trash, but I was blessed for that because it really taught me, um, really more about just living very humbly and family. And we were, we had great family around us. Uh, we were raised in the church. We were in church every Sunday. My mom found a way to get me and my three sisters to 
to church every year and or every, every year, every year or two, every week too. And that paid off at least once a year, right? Christmas yeah. and Easter. Easter. But, uh, but we had a lot of family around us, you know, I had a lot of aunts, uncles that helped raise us. But as you know, going to bottom elementary was, was, was kind of tough. I mean, there was some tough kids there. Uh, there was a, a lot lot of a, uh, a lot of broken homes coming from that that uh, dog patch area but I think that and then moving on to uh, kind of be quick with that moving from there moving to, to, to Zundi Elementary seeing what I thought was rich again right I mean Fountain Park I said oh these kids are from Fountain Park my goodness what are they doing <laughs> and, and I thought I thought wow they have they've died gone to heaven if you're in Fountain Park and, and and then when I got into high school, I, I became friends with some kids from the country club, right? Yeah, they were really and rich. Now my well, I didn't I, well, I didn't even think they were real, right? I mean, these just had to be trust babies. They couldn't have been couldn't have made it themselves, which I was all wrong about, about that. So I think the perspective of being at Bonham, uh, being at Zundi, getting into some middle class kids, and then getting into to old high, um, you know, I literally remember thinking two things. I was scared of being poor. I thought, man, I don't want to be poor. And then I thought, what do those guys do? What what does these guys' parents do that I'm running around with, and how do I do that? So, you know, that really kind of set me onto an entrepreneurial track. Uh, and then again, and, and I know you're going to have the same similar stories. Uh, I, I've been bankrupt. I've been broke another time. So it was it didn't make it easy. It just helped me learn that I could overcome those mistakes. And so, you know, if it wouldn't have been for the grace of God and, and, uh, leaning on him during those hard times, I don't think I could have. And, and, and then I've been in the dental business for 35 or six years. Uh, and then I transitioned into this other business called Zimworks, which is an outsourcing company in Africa. But that whole story, Jeff or Andy, that's, that's a, that's a 30 minute podcast just because God lining me up at a, marriage seminar and meeting my now partner who's from Zimbabwe and, and now we're employing uh, 600 people in a outsourcing center in Africa. It just, it just took a whole different turn. You were at a marriage conference. Is that what you said? Yeah. <clears throat> kind of an interesting story. So there's a national center for fathering or fathers.com hosted these uh, annual rendezvous and it was their fundraisers to raise money for their organization and I went to one in Curacao, down off the Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao. I kept resisting. The guy, Kerry Casey, kept calling me, who I now serve on the board with. He kept calling me, saying, Jennifer, you and your wife got to go. You and Lori have to go. You and Lori have to go. So finally we went, and the first day we meet Ken, who's my partner now. And I'm like, where are you from? And he said, Zimbabwe. I was like, who in the world's from Zimbabwe? I've never <laughs> even – don't even know where that's at, hardly, right? Is that, is that South Texas or is that Africa? Right. And so – uh, about six months later, he messaged me and said, hey, let's get together. We ended up meeting them on a little vacation. And he said, you know what? We've got a country with uh, university graduates. They speak. They, they sound like they're from London. So they've got this Queen's English voice. And he said, how do we put these people to work? And so I said, well, let me try a few of them in my business, in my dental business. And uh, that was a couple of people back in 2017. And um, now my business has about 14 people over there in logistics and accounting and various pieces. And um, uh, my son kind of runs that operation now, or he does run that operation now. 
And then we just kept growing and we're, we're just knocking on the door of about 600 with a, uh, I know it sounds a little, uh, aggressive, but, uh, we've got a 10 year goal of 20,000 employees. So we're, we're moving in that direction. Uh, we call it a win, win, win to kind of sum it up. It's a, it's a win for the people of Zimbabwe because, uh, in a place where there's 80% unemployment, you're able to hire some really quality people with a university education who speak just basically like we do. Uh, it's a win for the people we're, we're outsourcing to in the U.S., the medical, the dental facilities, uh, educational facilities, Christian ministries. We've got people building back-end apps and websites and, and people doing engineering work and logistics uh, all the way to the, the medical dental. And then it's a, a win for the ministries. Here's the big one. Here's the big win. We actually committed when we started this to give 51% of our profits back to ministries, back to Christian ministries specifically. And I think because, I don't think, I know because we committed that, our, our business has just been highly, highly favored and, and we're continuing to grow at an amazing clip. And, and that's what I spend most of my time on now is growing that business. And then what is that? You, you mentioned the dental. What exactly does this business do? My dental business or the ZimWorks business? The, both. Because they're kind of well, tied together, aren't business, they? Or did I misunderstand uh, you? Not really. Yeah, the, the dental business is, is called Global Imaging, and it's just a business that I've had where we recertify uh, imaging equipment, so x-ray equipment. And okay. we've been doing that for uh, 35 years, and now we're really centered on just a uh, specific niche of the business. But we have, have about 20 employees, 14 of them work in Zimbabwe through our company in Zimbabwe okay. as outsourced people. So they provide technical support. But the primary role of our company is let's, let's say a uh, big honker lodge needed an accountant. And you said, well, I'd love to have a full-time accountant, but I can't afford $60,000 a year for an accounting person. Mm -hmm. We say, well, we've got somebody for 20,000 a year. That's a chartered accountant, uh, just like a CPA that can work for you full-time. So they do it remotely. So that's where our business is, is tied to how that's tied together. And then you're, you're employing people that are all in Zimbabwe where unemployment is 80%, like you mentioned, and it helps them put food on the table. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when a, when a, when a, one of our team members, as we call them, has a job, they're typically not only uh, providing support for their family, but typically for uh, their immediate family, maybe a husband or spouse and kids, and then also maybe a grandparent, maybe a parent, maybe a, a sibling. So, uh, we say it's it, it's as many as about six to eight people that that job will provide financial support for as well. How much money do you need in Zimbabwe to live like a king? Like a king? Oh, I don't. Or, that's, or that's how, about, how about how about how about a one percent? Like like to live so, way 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 above the pay scale for everyone else. If you look worldwide, I think it, you're in the top one percent worldwide if you make more than thirty five thousand dollars a year worldwide. In the U.S., I think yeah. you're in the top one percent if you make more than four hundred and fifty thousand, I believe. So, right. like a U.S. one percenter to live, how much? Uh, how much would you need in Zimbabwe? That, that's probably around that two thousand dollars a month. You know, that's is probably twenty five hundred, maybe. Is 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 would be you could you could live well. You could have a nice house, a nice car, send your kids to private school, uh, those kind of things. Now. The minimum wage, we're a lot. Now we don't start there. We, we've got a. There's a lot of people that that make as little as 150 or 200 dollars a month. Yeah. Maybe working as a security guard or maybe working as a a gardener. So it's not unusual to see 
people in the very low end making that 150 to 200 but they do find a way to support their families it's just amazing it what, what are the houses like over there are they uh dirt floors no you'd be surprised they're quite advanced i mean uh, i was having this conversation yesterday with a, with a guy in my office that uh like like we rent a house there for our as we, we travel there a lot i'm there about uh Oh, two to three months out of the year. And then we've got a lot of our teams that travel and we've got a, a very nice new recently built, uh, probably 2,200 square foot home there, a three bedroom, three bath, uh, a private, you know, yard area. And those homes are going for 350,000, 400,000. You know, you'd be surprised how expensive they are, but a, a, an average home would, would still be in the, you know, thirty to forty thousand at the low end. So owning a home is is very difficult. A lot of people have land passed down from their relatives, uh, and they've just built a house on there. So the land acquisition is usually the most expensive part. Do you worry about a lot of the problems that they're having in South Africa in Zimbabwe with the basically kicking the white people out left and right? Yeah, you know, the the only benefit is this already happened in Zimbabwe back in the uh, around 2000. They had what they called the land grabs there. Uh, they went around to all the white farmers and basically just stole their land. And all it was was an attempt by the, the president at that time, who's who's now since dead, um, that they were they were just trying to appear better in those eyes, kind of kind of like we do with all of our government services, right? We just give money away and that gets you votes. Well, they were just stealing land from people and, and saying, hey, here, you're a farmer. But what happened is uh, Zimbabwe went in, in a short span of about 30 years to being the breadbasket of Africa. And I literally mean that. More gold, diamonds, uh, mining, selenium, all kinds of precious metals, uh, as well as they were a major exporter of maize, uh, wheat across Africa. And then they had these land grabs. Ten years later, they're actually importing grain. So uh, it, it was a very bad mistake. And, and South Africa, unfortunately, is is a little reminiscent of what's already happened there. So I think Zim, Zim went down and is now going back up. And they're starting to really get a lot more solid than they were. And uh, they, had the ha- they had the highest uh, inflation ever recorded in the world in 2008 they actually printed a $100 trillion bill. I've, I've got one behind <laughs> me here somewhere. Um, it was, they were printing money so fast that they couldn't even keep up with the, 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 the numbers. They were just adding zeros and printing them. And then they just said, whoa, okay, we don't have a Zim dollar anymore. Let's go to the U.S. dollar. Uh, and, and now they're kind of a quasi-electronic uh, money exchange versus that. But, yeah, to answer your question, there's always political unrest, but where there's no risk, there's no reward, right? Uh, to do this in a lot of stable countries would be impossible. Uh, and we just see it as an opportunity for ministry to not only give people jobs, lift them out of poverty, but also provide for, uh, you know, right now it's harder than heck to, to hire somebody in the U.S. You just can't find qualified people to work. People, uh, you, you talk to any of these dental medical practices, they'll have They'll set up 10 people for interviews and one might show up. So we're living in a weird time here as well. Are you going to move any of the people from Zimbabwe want to come to the U.S. to work? Oh, they would love to. uh, But that's very, very difficult. Contrary to public belief, that's a very, very difficult. Their best option 
would be to fly into Monterey, Mexico and walk across yeah, no, the border. Then they could get gas. And get a <laughs> but, house uh, get a house and a free check. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, that's a whole other story. And that's an awful situation. But I, I will say that uh, they would love to. Uh, I've got actually my my executive assistant, my EA, who's worked for me for over four years now. Uh, she's here in town right now. She came in on uh, Saturday to attend some training conferences and to attend a convention. And she'd never been out of Africa before. She's 41 or two years old. So this is I, I wish everybody had the same view of the U.S. as she had when she walked off that plane. She was just screaming for joy. I can't believe I'm here. And every day she's walking around. I pinch me. I can't believe I'm in Texas. <laughs> and it, it's too bad we don't have people that, that have that same kind of an outlook. And, and she's only here for three weeks. And yet she's taking in every moment. You know, it's funny, J.W. Um, I went to school with you. I went to school with Chris Pruitt. And I went to school with Jay Louder. All three of you have been on the podcast. All three of you are about the same age. Did y'all all graduate together? Or are you a year older? Uh, Jay... Jay's a year younger than me, and uh, Chris is, uh, yeah, but they're both a year younger, younger than me. Than yeah, they're a year behind. Yep, 83. I'm 83. They were 84. Chris is going to be the next one of you guys to try to go to Everest, I think, probably. And Jay is preached well, he, all over the world. Well, he was supposed to go with us. You know, Chris was supposed to go with us, and he damaged himself in that canoe ride. Right. Uh, he tore up some tendons or something, so he was a little... But he's been to Elbrus. He's 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 already been higher than I've been. He's been to a few high mountains. And and Jay, I've traveled with Jay some. I've been to to a a, a big uh, uh, event with him in Ireland. And matter of fact, we we're in the middle of planning an event in Zimbabwe with him going now. So yeah, so yeah, I know both those guys real well. Uh, and and we all came from the the same basic roots. Except Jay was, you got don't let Jay kid you. Jay, Jay was rich, right? He yeah, he, he, he was a rich kid. Was he really? Yeah, he, his dad owned all the convenience stores in Wichita Falls, right? Jiffy Food Stores. Right. Yep. They owned them, they owned them all. How, yep. And Chris was a military brat. Chris's dad was a retired colonel, I think, in the army. So this Chris wasn't a poor kid. Now, now Chris's nephews Chance and Price, they grew up a little bit more like we did. They were little, they were wealthier though. They were Sun Valley kids, so they had more money than I was we did. Sun side even they were Sun Valley, which was just another whole eon step up right right before you went to fountain park right that's right but the pruitt boys played baseball for my dad with the bonham bandits so they they, they were they were dabbling in the poor side of town too that's why wichita falls is not successful no more all they, they closed down the most successful elementary just killing us let me ask you a question you know, I, I never th thought about that but i think you've got a point maybe we need to get on the school board and back there and get this thing changed they need to fix it up uh, also i'm gonna most people that don't that listen to the podcast all don't know him Joe Bob Tyler, is he not the most inspirational man you ever met? Well, you, 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 you don't even have to go any further than that. I just had a recent conversation within the last month of, of all the people that, uh, you know, were a impact on my life. Uh, my dad being number one. Uh, my grandfather was in there and then coach Tyler. I mean, uh, you know, my house burned down there in Wichita Falls and, and right after we graduated in summer of 83 and the first guy on the scene was Joe Bob Tyler. Uh, he was, he just, uh, he, he just had a way of bringing out the best. And, and I, tr I would have to attribute a lot of my, uh, uh, peripheral success anyway, to just some of the values he instilled in us just to don't quit, don't give up and work through it. It's amazing what uh, one one positive influence is all it takes 
for a lot of these young lives. Just one little spark, one little glimmer of hope, one little encouraging word. But society is pushing people like Joe Bob Tyler. For those who don't, don't know what he was, our tough football love. coach at Wichita tough Falls lo- High School. But when you have tough love, right? When you get love, it makes it all the right. Makes it all the better. But he would. He couldn't coach today because he'd grab you on the face mask, he'd chew on your ass, he'd slap oh. you on the butt with a paddle, and they don't like that anymore. But he also walked hundreds of miles as a German POW. He was hungry. He was cold. He knew, he he went through a lot of stuff, and we've pushed guys like that away because we don't want them, you know, telling their stories the way they should. And Joe Bob Tyler was a great man, and I've never met anybody that didn't know him that wasn't imp- impacted by him somewhere in life. Oh, yeah. You know, I actually, uh, I think it was last summer, I actually stopped by his wife's house and, uh, and and visited with her. She still lives not too far from my mom. And I went by and saw Miss Tyler. And, and, I, and I'm always make a point to, 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 to let her know how, how much Joe Bob impacted me, along with hundreds or maybe even thousands of other people. But uh, you're, you're right, uh, Jeff. He was a, a major impact, and we need more coaches like him around. It's, it's really not about wins and losses. It's about the impact of, that they make on these kids. You know, you mentioned Bonham. Do you remember you remember Miss Van Horn? Yes. Was she there still when yeah, you were? Yeah, she was my th- it, third or fourth grade teacher. Yeah, she was my second grade teacher. Uh, she ended up uh, moving to Petrolia, where she is now, I believe she's still either a guidance counselor out there. And it's funny, she commented, she not only – she not only taught me, she taught both my nephews. One of them went with me to Everest Heath. And, uh, you know, it's, it was teachers like that that had an impact because they were tough. You know, they were they were Miss Williams, uh, Miss Van Horn, Coach Tyler, Eddie Waldrop. All those people made impacts on your life because they, they showed you, as Andy said, they showed you a lot of tough love. You know, I just thought something. I had another Bonham kid that used to live in Knox City, and he's very successful. Terry Clark, Terry Hunt. Yeah, I know Terry. Yeah. He, he of course, li- I grew up with Terry. He, he's the same age as me. Yep. Terry uh, was living in Knox City. His son graduated school here. His sister was married to Coach Steele, our football. His sister was married. His wife is Coach Steele's sister. Anyways, he lives in, he, he's very successful, lives in, um, I think th- I think they're in Fayetteville or somewhere up there. He's a big wig with Tyson now, food. But he's a great guy. But another a Bonham Elementary guy, but he was in Knox City for a little bit for a while. A little while too man we should like make a list and again i don't think it has to be monetarily successful i think it's just people who have been successful whether it's in their marriages or whether it's in their their christian faith or or monetarily or just keeping a family together there's a lot of success stories come right out of bottom elementary isn't yep. there? work ethic i would like to see the statistics on it because you know you you talk about the highlights and everything but it'd be interesting to know how many people went down the same path that their family went to divorce shitty parent broke drug addict alcoholic same things that they when they were growing up they said they would never become but i'm sure there are some um oh absolutely david bates hunted with me this year he's very successful retired from the state owns a big construction company in wichita falls he hunted with me this year i think a lot of it lewis mcintyre is a big reason for a lot of success too anybody that played for the giants that played yeah, for lewis mack yeah. doing youth yeah. sports he expect they excellence was what he strived for and he expected that from you and he was a he was a good man also but i think like you said we all a lot of us come from broken homes and stuff but i think work ethic is one of the things that we learn because i didn't know kids whose parents were on welfare and stuff they were just poor you know 
Well, I, I'll give you another one that that I, you you would have never thought, and I, I know you know you probably know Tommy Cage. But yeah, J D. J D. Yes, J D. is very successful. You know, also. J D. J you know he. Uh, JD was just, I remember uh, talking about Mr. Walder, but I remember Mr. Walder chasing him. He climbed out the bathroom windows at the school and he'd run home and Mr. Walder had to get in his old car and drive home and get him, you know, but oh, JD's run a very successful, uh, machine shop in Wichita Falls and married and, and doing quite well and loves Jesus. I've talked to him about his faith and it's, it's amazing. So a lot of those people, a lot of those kids did come out of there and, and just pick it right up. So. No, that, that's the more I think about it, the more I talk to you, the more I realize, wow, a lot of success stories out of there. There's uh, there's something to go around. There's something going around Instagram right now. It's a guy giving a speech, but he said, "My grandfather walked ten miles to work every day. My dad walked five. I'm driving a Mercedes. My son's driving a Ferrari. His son will drive a Rolls Royce, but his son will be walking again." That's powerful. I mean, because, you know, you get removed from what got you to the dance, and you've only seen this easy life where it was nothing but velvet carpet and rainbows and whatever you want. And then you you get a couple generations removed from seeing that struggle of how the hell are we going to keep our lights on? How are we going to pay these? How are we going to feed these kids? How are we going to get to work tomorrow? And you get too far removed from that, and he, you know you only go backwards at that point. You know, it's interesting. I did a, I did a podcast with the granddaughter of, uh, uh, the gentleman that started Hobby Lobby. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the succession and how her grandfather, now their, uh, their sons are running the Hobby Lobby business. And, and, and we talked about statistics and, you know, 70% of the next generation of, a, of an entrepreneur, of a business owner, 70% of that next generation, they, the business fails, goes mm-hmm. out of business. And then the third generation yeah. increases to about 94%. So, you know, for a business to be successful and last through a couple of generations is highly unlikely. And I'm sure it's lost because of that work, work ethic as well. Yeah, they say the third generation is the one that squanders it all. So, like, my, it, so it, my grandkids are going to screw yeah. this up. Reese and Jameson will be the ones that. Just, <laughs> but I don't know about that because you know they, we've started this podcast and they've seen the hard work that it's taken to get this off to where it is. So you know, it, things are are better now. I mean, obviously, you know, you look around and it's not near what it could be, but they've seen they've seen me struggle and they've seen me set goals for myself. And try to accomplish them. So, you know, maybe they won't squander it away. You I, never know. I hope not. So, J.W., what's in your future? What, what's next now? I mean, you, 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 you office in Zimbabwe. You moved up from Wichita Falls to Argyle. What, what, what's next? You travel all the time, first of all. I get shit all the time out here at Knox City because me and Michelle go all the time. Well, we're just taking little old pinkly dink vacations. I look up and you're, <laughs> you're at the Four Seasons in Sri Lanka or some stuff. So, what's next? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think, you know, as you get the kids out of the house, my kids are 27 and 25, and so we're able to move more. Uh, we uh, we spend a lot of time in Costa Rica, actually have a, a finishing a house there that's going to be kind of permanent for us. But I, I travel to Zimbabwe a lot, but I'm always, you know, I, you might have saw a hashtag, the, the do hard stuff. And it's interesting is because it's it's formulating as I'm sitting here talking to you, 
I'm I'm one of those. I've got this. Uh, it's called a Type Seven on an Enneagram, and you're always looking for something new and fresh in your life. And and so uh, I told my wife, she's just lucky it's not her. I'm just keeping <laughs> keeping fresh. Somebody else. But uh, no, I I, uh, I I figured out that uh, I, I like to have something that I'm challenging. You know, when I was I, I ran my first half marathon when I was 47. I did a Ironman when I was 49 or something, and did a few more after that. And then we started doing some climbs to Peru and Everest Base Camp. But we we our next is a is a trek across Costa Rica. It's called Coast to Coast. And uh, it's 280 kilometers or 180 miles, and you hike from one ocean to the other, and it takes about 11 days. And so yeah, those kind of things kind of keep me spirited uh, because I really and truly believe that when you do hard stuff, it just makes you a lot stronger. And, you know, as I was saying, formulating talking to you, doing that hard stuff is, is going to Bonham Elementary. It was growing up around a bunch of ragtag kids and and your bike chain falling off as a kid and your mom couldn't buy you a new bike chain. And she said, I don't know, figure out how to take a link out and make it shorter. Okay. Well, I'll give me some screwdrivers and a pliers, and I'll figure it out. Right. And I think when we did those simple things that were hard, it makes life just, you know, when people complain to me about some of their crap, I'm just looking at them like, you know, I'm sorry. You got to drive a four year old pickup truck. That's got a scratch <laughs> on the side of Wow. Just, just how horrible is that? You know, I really feel sorry for you. Yeah. So for me, it's it's about keeping life in perspective, uh, not let not let me uh, uh, not not let the the humility ever go away. Uh, keep my pride in check and and setting those goals. You know, my my priorities is the Lord, uh, my beautiful wife, and then everything else. And I think if I can keep those into check, then the rest of it just takes care of itself. The, the type nine people, those we don't we don't like those people, right? Your type seven, type nine is, we don't like them, right? Yeah, we don't even associate with those. Yeah. Um, when you was in Peru, seven. what what's the what's the place in Peru that massive? How do you say it? God damn. Oh, uh, Machu Picchu. Yes. Did you go there? Well, there. So that's interesting. We went there uh, four years ago. Machu Picchu is a. You know, you can get there by train or, or car. There's a lot of different ways you can get there. We actually did a hike, uh, and, and Machu Picchu gets about 3,200 people a day that visit it. And it is incredible. We did this hike called Chocacero. Uh, it was a six-day hike, and literally we didn't have any electricity or really see any cars or anything. It was very few people. Chocacero is about twice the size of Machu Picchu, uh, but only 16 people a day get to see it because it's a hike. You know, it's a two-day hike to get in there and see it. So, uh, we, and then we hiked over to Machu Picchu after that. So that was incredible. I, I, and there's just so many incredible places you can you can go visit. Uh, I highly recommend the the, the Machu Picchu. Uh, getting that on your bucket list as well. What were the tea houses like? Were they kind of like what we would consider like the the like a tent, like a teepee? What was it? What did it consist no, of? No, they, they were a hut. You know, I, I, I tell you who summed it up best was my nephew. So Kevin Brooks was staying in a room by himself. Terry, uh, she's a good friend of ours. Uh, her husband's a pastor. He used to be a Colonial Baptist. Uh, Rick Thompson. She was staying in a room, and we were all you know three different rooms close together. And then my nephew and I stayed in a room together. And he, he last morning he woke up. He goes, he goes. You know what? He says. This is like waking up in a very bad deer lease. Oh, okay. He goes, that's what it feels like. Yeah. He goes, except 
it's colder, there's no heat. <laughs> and so it's, it, there would construction, uh, you know, the, the rooms were fine. It's just that they don't have ample electricity, so they can't generate heat. And so the rooms are just cold. Um, but they were clean and we did have a bathroom the first four nights. There was a bathroom in the room. And then the last, as you got further down, they, it just slowly got worse as the higher you went, yeah. uh, till the last one was just kind of a room with some, uh, wooden uh, benches in there to put your sleeping bag on pretty much. Feces on Mount Everest is a big problem also, isn't it? They, they have, have they figured out how to get it off of the mountain? No, because just like you said, it freezes and it doesn't go anywhere. Right. Uh, they actually are. There's some major efforts to clean up not only the trash but the feces off there. You know, they're they're putting it in big containers and hauling it back down on yaks, trying to do the best they can. There's big, big uh, conservation efforts to, to clean up base camp primarily. Uh, it's not as bad as you go up because those guys tend to be a little better. But going up's bad, too. They're cleaning up a lot of trash there. So... Yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot of uh, uh, effort to clean that up, and and you know the the yak crap is is everywhere, obviously. So you know they're they're just like a horse, right? They're just going to stop and go where they're at. Well, I was proud of you that you took a helicopter down, because that's what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you, as you I, I, as you get my age, uh, I, I was uh, we were going the first. I mentioned that first day we were we went down a lot. And it, I thought, man, this really hurts my knees when I go down for a long time. Then I go up, I was fine. So about halfway through, I said, guys, I'm getting a helicopter down. And, and Kevin, you know, being the hardcore outdoorsman, hunter, hiker he is, he says, I'm not taking a helicopter. He goes, that's, and Terry's like, well, that's cheating. Well, they got to about day five or six and lack of sleep and they were tired. They go, and Kevin turned to me at one point and goes, that helicopter was a really good idea. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know it was. Why is it harder so going down the, on your knees? What What is the what is it? Your meniscus gets worn in a different way, or what is it that? It's like that, stopping on a ski when you're on skis and just stopping all the time. You're it's just all kind, that weight on there. Your knees at a at a weird yeah, angle just, all the time. Yeah, you know, and I'm 225 pounds, so it's just you know every step is just a, a pounding, right? Your right. your knee is your legs and your hips are taking that absorption of as you're going down. Where obviously going up, you don't have that, so. Uh, and I mean, we could have made it. Don't get me wrong. Right, I right, could have right. made it down. And But it was, we literally, the last day, we were all tired of not being able to breathe. And it was interesting. That helicopter picked us up at a place called Gorokshep, which was 17,000 feet. It couldn't take all five of us, uh, four of us and the guide. So it, because of the weight, it took two of us. And it took us down to a town called Parache, which was at 15,000 feet. And from when you leave 17,000, you get to fifteen. It's like somebody opened up the oxygen tank. I mean, you could just breathe normal, and you went, wow, 15,000 feet feels like 7,000 feet. And, of course, then when we got down to 9,000, it was just fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I think we were all kind of uh, kind of tired of that piece. And if, if, uh, if people say, well, well you cheated, I, well, okay, I cheated. Man, you know, I, I don't I, think so. I cheated, the, cheated I, the down portion. I was just wondering what it, what it was about going down that hurt so much more about going up. And I guess it's because when you go up, you can I guess you can kind of extend your knee all the way as you take that step up, whereas when you're going down, you're kind of always in this weird, kind of like Jeff said, you're always kind of crouched down whenever you're going, going down the yeah, yeah, step ups using your hamstrings and your quads, and you're you know you're lifting 
Whereas when you're coming down, you're just you're just absorbing the blow. So it, it definitely is a big difference in going down versus up for sure. It's a lot it's a lot quicker to a hot shower and real food too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Can people can they <laughs> climb they can go all the way to the top without oxygen. And there's some crazy people that do that. Ooh, I don't know. They do. It. It's mm. I don't know what the percentage, but it's very small. I mean, it must be two or three percent that actually do it who want to, you know, be pure and, and, and climb up there without it. But Wow, I just I, I can't I can't imagine going to any higher than I was uh, without any oxygen, uh, much less to the top. Like two to five percent of the people die that even do it. They try to go to the summit. If it's yeah, a, it, it's crazy. You know, interesting. Out of uh, out of all the people that just hike to Everest Base Camp, only about sixty percent actually make it to start. Uh, and then, of course, the 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 numbers that fail going from base camp to the top i'm, I'm not exactly sure but it, it's it's not incredibly high i think it's 30 or 40 percent make that and then there's like you say yeah it used to be one one out of every five died but they they've really uh changed that in the last probably 20 years where you know putting in the ropes and the ladders and there's more oxygen tanks and 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 look hey look, before i before i stop i have to say the porters and the sherpa so you know we carried a uh, uh i carried like a 60 liter pack on my back and it just had my you know water snacks uh rain gear uh change of socks and a few things on my back and these porters were carrying your 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 duffel and and my duffel weighed hmm, probably 45 pounds maybe 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 a little more and those guys were trekking those things up the hill and they were tiny and so they're about the size of Darrell harper uh, so there you go you know uh just, just uh, Daryl, if you listen to this, just strap on about ninety pounds to those packs and get going. Uh, and put out so, the cigarettes. Yeah, was, <laughs> yes, put out cigarettes. <laughs> this says only about ten percent of those who try to climb it without supplemental oxygen make it, but I can't find an actual number. That's got to be hell on earth trying to walk up there. I mean, we got out of what? How tall is Pikes Peak? Fourteen thousand feet. Uh, yeah, l- l- yeah, right at 14, yeah. We went to the summit of it one time, and we got out, and it felt like I was on hail. There's no trees, there's nothing. The wind was blowing 100 miles an hour. It was cold, it was miserable. And I thought, man, how could you live like this? I can't imagine going up to 20,000 feet, much less to 30,000. Gosh. Did you change your diet at all? This fellow that attempted to do the... He, he tried to go to the summit without oxygen. He switched to, like, a ketogenic diet. More fats, no carbs, and he says that might have helped him. Did you do any of that? No, nah, we we I mean we we definitely started eating a lot cleaner. Right. Uh, you know, I was taking a lot less. Uh, I was. I, I actually, you actually had to be careful because for us, uh, my nephew actually had, had he lost about thirty pounds getting ready for this trip, and and um, he he actually was on the keto diet, but as he read, they started saying look, you're going to be eating nothing but carbs. So you need to transition your diet a little bit before you go. So he actually got off the keto a couple of weeks and and started having more carbs because he didn't want to just go cold turkey from keto to carbs. Uh, But, but yeah, because you could imagine that that would be just a a blow up. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, literally, right? Swell up, blow up. But, uh, no, I didn't really change it up much of anything. We, we, we did, yeah, I, there's a substance called you can, it's actually, a, 
uh, called a supercharge, and I've taken it to run events and Ironman and things. And I was taking it every day. I think it helped. It's kind of a sustained release, uh, starch, non-sugar, mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that really helped me quite a bit. But uh, yeah, preparation is the key, and I'm sure I can't even. I mean, I can't even fathom. I, I can't even relate to them going to twenty nine thousand feet. I, I wouldn't even know where to think about that kind of a uh, attempt. One step at a time. That's all it is. Just one step at a time. Absolutely. Well, you know what was funny is the the last couple of days, uh, I, I was walking along and I thought I, I'm moving like I'm on the moon. And interestingly enough, it was it looks like the moon. You get up above fourteen, fifteen thousand. It's just rocks. Right? They're just brown rocks at that point. And uh, you, you're, you're walking along, but you're moving pretty slow because <laughs> you just don't have a lot of oxygen. So, <laughs> and again, I was only. 17,000 feet. I can't imagine going higher than that. So uh, mm-hmm. kudos to those guys for sure. Well, JW, I appreciate you being on here. You've been an excellent guest. Uh, you live quite the life. Very proud for you. Well, thank you. You live in your dream, bud, and that's what it's all about. Um, well, I'm proud of you guys. You guys uh, uh, have taken it to the next level. I know you got. Uh, Andy and them involved in it as well, and and you've done. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm like, how did those kids end up in Knox City? How in the <laughs> world did you go from there to there? So your story is amazing, and you know, I never had put that together, but you got something. Uh, I think maybe we need to 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 come up with a little logo and a little brand. Uh, the, the Bonham success stories because I think there's a bunch of them. <laughs> there are a bunch of them. They ought to just have a reunion one day. We go down. Absolutely, I'll, I'll be glad to put it together. We'll go downstate to your house in Costa Rica. <laughs> well, we could start at the Southeast Boys Club and spend a little time there. And opportunity workshop, we could help build some brooms. I think it's still there, yeah, and then we could is. head on out. Uh, <laughs> well, we appreciate you being on here. God bless you. Uh, best of luck, and uh, I'll keep up with you on your next adventures. And we'll have you on here again with us. Hey, man, I appreciate it, Andy. Thank you, yes, Jeff. Sir. Tell your brother hello, Tony. What a great honor to be here, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, thank you, JW. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Interesting cat. <clears throat> yes, sir. The feces. That's a, that is a major problem there. Big-time problem. I can't imagine trying to walk up that thing. Mm, I don't have that desire anyways. There's a show on Netflix. I think it's like 14 Summits. Let me look at it real but quick. I would rather be climbing Mount Everest than to be stuck in the middle of the Amazon jungle though you're going to have more to eat in the Amazon I don't care I don't want nothing to do with snakes and alligators and piranhas and mosquitoes Ugh. yeah the mosquitoes would be tough they would wear you out I think it's called 14 summits let me take a take a 14 peaks 14 peaks maybe 14 peaks impossible nothing is impossible this fella Nepalese mountain climber Load, please. Load. The 2021 documentary, Nirmal Persia and his team as they attempt to climb all 14 8,000er peaks within a record time of under seven months. The previous record was seven years. Those people are crazy anyways. They're, They're machines and they're beasts. There's another show coming out on Netflix. It's about... It's. I think it's filmed in China where they send these little kids on errands. It shows all the things that it's just a documentary on what parents send their errand, kids at errands, little kids, two to five years old doing. Cigarettes? No. Well, pro, well, that was when I was a kid growing up. Oh. 
That was bottom. That was bottom elementary experience. Bottom. Go buy your mom some cigarettes. <laughs> the actual climbing took six months and six days. So, spoiler. Suffers. Persia suffers haste, whatever the hell that is. High altitude something. High altitude cerebral edema. Mm-mm. I didn't. Medical condition in which the brain swells with fluid because of the physiological effects of traveling to high altitude. Mm, Acute no. motion sickness. I'm gonna stick I'll to have the, to watch that. I'm going to stick to the flatlands of Knox City. I appreciate everybody listening to you. I hope you come out and see us at Ducks. Ducks was a really good success. The, thanks for coming by and visiting with our sponsors. Uh, got anything else? That's it. All right. God bless y'all. Have a great week. Check out all of our great sponsors before you leave here. Check out Dirty Duck Coffee if you want the best premium roasted money can buy. Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, Gun Dog Outdoors, Steak Plains Meat, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Bangtail Whiskey, Shin Gear Waiters, Pacific Calls, Dive Bomb Industries, Boss Shot Shells, and Alpha Outdoor Specialties, maker of the Stanfield Store.